Hello, and welcome to the Vexillogicast. I'm Simon the Cannibal. Astute listeners might have noticed that I did not precede that statement with a fact about Philadelphia, and that's because the following episode will not be located entirely in Philadelphia. In fact, the following episode will be part one of an interview with Mark at the Lowell Flag Project in Lowell, Massachusetts. Lowell, Massachusetts is a town of about 110,000 people, close to Boston, obviously in Massachusetts. You have my apologies if the audio isn't the greatest. This was a phone recording. I've done my best to clean things up and record on my end, but I hope that the bump in content is worth the drop in quality. Before I get to the episode, I should remind you to head on over to vexillogicast.com, that is V-E-X-I-L-L-O-G-I-C-A-S-T.com for show notes, r slash Simon the Cannibal for discussion, hop on Facebook, Twitter, all that sort of stuff. Give me a rating on iTunes if you're listening on iTunes, but most importantly, enjoy the show. So, hi, Mark. Thank you for joining me for this interview on the Vexillogicast. I appreciate you taking the time to talk about the Lowell Flag Project. The first thing I think we should get into is a general introduction. Why don't you talk about yourself for a moment? You know, who you are, where you're from, what brought you into this project, and what your relation is to Lowell, Massachusetts. And maybe a little bit about uh, what inspired you for this project. Yeah, so my name's Mark, and I... Uh, live in the Lowell area now, but I kind of grew up in the southern part of the state, so lived here about 10 years. The, my connection to Lowell, Mass, is actually through my wife's family. So her family, they're kind of uh, from a Greek immigrant family that uh, lived in Lowell and kind of worked in the mills as a seamstress in her uh, grandmother or Yaya's case. So it's definitely a place I feel a really close connection to, just mm-hmm. in that regard, definitely. The kind of you know, why I started doing this is I actually heard the, you know, Roman Mars is a 99% invisible episode about it uh, when it came out. And that was a cool idea, but just kind of filed it away as another cool podcast that I listened to out of the many podcasts I listened to. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, they had the whole Radiotopia, you know, backing thing and had the party for backers and stuff. And uh, I didn't get to go to the actual part, Radiotopia party, but they had a live showing uh, right nearby where I work in Cambridge. So I kind of went to that, and that was really cool to kind of get to see the flag talk in person and get to meet Roman and a couple other people from Radiotopia there. So after I went to that, that's kind of when I I started to uh, kind of jot down ideas, do some actual research into what could be used for symbols and stuff like that. I just thought it was like a small problem that had a pretty, you know, set, set of rules that you could work around and hopefully get something done. So it's kind of, you know, my background and kind of how I got into doing what I'm doing now, which is kind of working on the Lowell Flag project. Okay. And have you dabbled in the graphic arts before? Do you have a background as a graphic artist? Yes. I went to school uh, at a place called John Tyler Community College in Richmond, Virginia for visual Mm -hmm. communications. And now I work up here in New England at a small uh, agency in the the Cambridge area. So I kind of, I'm a producer. That means I work with designers and uh, programmers to you know, build out web projects. So that kind of gives me appreciation for uh, scheduling and dependencies. So, you know, in order to achieve 
you know, Z, we have to do X and Y first. I think that helps give me some additional context as far as planning and trying to do things with sort of initiative like this. Is just looking at what am I trying to do in the end, but what are the steps I need to get there is kind of something that I think has been helpful to me in this process, at least as far as planning. But I definitely do have kind of a background in design and kind of a, a pretty, I think, a pretty good working knowledge of that, of, you know, major design principles and stuff like that. So it's definitely handy as well. <laughs> Excellent. And I fear that's something I lack. That is, working knowledge whatsoever about graphic arts. So I'm envious, sir. You'd be surprised. Uh, I actually work with, uh, work with a guy in Manchester, New Hampshire, who's doing a similar project kind of for that city to design a flag for Manchester, New Hampshire. And he it's kind of same boat. He doesn't have really any sort of a design background, but he just like really likes flags and likes the city a lot. So he's kind of forging forward, trying to, you know, push that forward without having, you know, direct access to tooling like I do and stuff like that. So, you know, it can be done if you don't have a design degree. Uh, I think, you know, I've, most people I work with don't even, you know, in the field or not, you know, aren't like necessarily trained. It's all self-taught people. Like some of the most successful people I know are self-taught designers. So I don't think that should be a disqualifying factor for anyone if you don't have a design background. Very cool, and I think very inspiring, perhaps inspiring some listeners to go and learn something interesting about the graphic arts, perhaps including myself. But yeah, that sounds like a very similar story to a lot of the people that I have talked to that have started to enjoy flags or interact with flags. It's that they've gotten involved through the Roman Mars talk or 99% Invisible. So, you know, I think it's a pretty common story. As much as I wish that... Everyone were coming to flag design and saying, oh man, let's listen to the Vexillogicast, right? Not to jump topics abruptly, but could you give me a little history of the city? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I'll caveat this with that I am an amateur historian only, and as I just mentioned, make heavy use of Wikipedia plus other local blogs and resources. So if I get any of this wrong and you're from Lowell, please email Simon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, starting from the beginning, uh, you know, before the 1800s, the Lowell area, you know, basically used as farmland and a meeting area for uh, local local Native Americans as well as U.S. farmers. It was kind of before uh, the founding, and then around 1820 is when it was officially founded as a planned textile city. So it was kind of uh, similar to some of the cities you'll find out in the Midwest that have a planned street map, very you know, broken out into grids, that type of thing. So it was kind of founded right. as an industrial city for textiles. Um, and, uh, you know, in the, around the mid-1800s, uh, you know, 1850 and 1860, it was actually the largest industrial complex in the U.S. I think I saw somewhere where it had, you know, more cotton on spindles in the city than were in the entire American South <laughs> at the time. Oh, man. Uh, so it was like a, not a really big deal, you know, tons and tons and tons of cash and textiles flying through there. And then... Uh, you know, obviously support that much of a complex uh, that required workers. So a lot of those, you know, came in the form of, you know, the first wave of immigrants is kind of how I think of it. So there's the Irish, the Greek, the Italian, the French Canadian, Polish, you know, people from all over Europe and, you know, the U.S. itself came to work in the mills and kind of settled their own little unique ethnic uh, neighborhoods. So, I mean, even to this day, if you go to Lowell, there's still the people talk about the Greek section, the French-Canadian section was actually bulldozed in the 1960s to make way for a urban renewal gone horribly awry <laughs> in that case. But you know, there's still like, lots and lots of uh, little enclaves like that throughout the city. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, uh, 
I think we're kind of you start to get more of the picture of uh, so kind of where modern wool got it through to through those kind of different cultures all being in the same general vicinity and kind of working together, just kind of cross pollinating each other's customs and stuff like that. So I've always found just really interesting. Obviously, my I have family that come from the Greek immigrants on that side of things, so I have a okay. pretty uh, personal interest in that. But then, you know, like all good things, they must end. So, you know, you get into the early 1900s uh, and then going on even to the 1970s and 80s, the mills basically decline or close entirely uh, just because the manufacturing moved to the cheaper, you know, southern states and other countries. So they end up closing down, uh, which obviously kind of totally killed the economy for everyone involved. But, yeah, so, like, after the mills failed, uh, you know, you know, big depression, obviously. But then you have a couple of places, you know, big technology companies eventually, um, you know. Uh, but another, like, really big, you know, thing just culture-wise is that in 1970s, where there's a really, 1970s and 80s, there's a really large influx of refugees from the Southeast Asia, so uh, Cambodia uh, specifically, uh, just due to the ongoing wars there in those countries. Uh, so Lowell actually, I think, has the second largest population of Cambodians in the country, secondly, the Long Beach. California. You know, that's kind of what I think of as the second wave of immigrants. You've got, you know, the founding generation, which is the Irish, Greeks, and then, you know, the Southeast Asians came uh, after the fact, and they have their own little Cambodia town in Lowell, and many, many, many businesses are run by Cambodians and stuff. It's kind of really, really interesting uh, melting pot there. So the the biggest thing uh, that a lot of people will point to uh, is the founding of the Lowell National Historic Park. So the entire, almost all of downtown Lowell is basically uh, just like a national park. So that kind of preserved all the standing mill building structures, all the boarding houses, anything that was from that industrial age was kind of declared part of an, an of national importance and kind of protected. Obviously, ur- urban blight was a big deal and big problem. So they actually kind of went about it really well and you know, decided we're going to knock down this building and build a giant amphitheater here. So that's boarding house park, which is, you know, where they have a lot of events. You know, just overall, just like a really good strategy as far as taking the taking the new and integrating into the old and kind of knocking down what made sense. Well, I think I read somewhere that like 92% of the old capacity of the standing mill buildings has been repurposed for things like businesses or residences to loft apartments and stuff like that. So that's something I've always found really fascinating personally is that they kind of able to go and plan and, you know, do all that stuff and still retain that, you know, that history there of the textiles from the 1800s and how important that was. We've had a bit of the opposite here in Philly, where over the years they've started to demolish buildings as new buildings come up, especially since it's a very old city as far as the United States is concerned. A lot of buildings in Philly were knocked down in the 1800s to make way for new buildings. For example, Benjamin Franklin's house was knocked down. So I'm glad to hear that the city of Lowell is taking steps to try and preserve its history. You know, a couple more examples from Philly is the the first mint and the second mint. Uh, Old buildings that would be cool to see, uh, to interact with, that just don't exist anymore. So I'm glad to hear that you guys are working smartly and trying to preserve your own history. Yeah, it definitely took a lot of work by a lot of people to to do that. You know, I mean, there's still things that... uh... You know, obviously didn't make the cut or people are mad about getting knocked down. But I think overall, I think that they made awful lot better than some other cities, as you've noted for Philadelphia in your case. So I think that's really cool. 
Um, and I guess, you know, building on that, in 1990, they had the first Lowell Folk Festival. So that's still something that's going on today. It's a yearly event that takes over pretty much the whole city um, where they just have all different cultures bring their music and food and, you know, you get to just go walk around downtown and uh, just see lots of different awesome stuff. In more recent memory, one of my favorite, favorite places in the whole city probably is uh, Mill Number no. 5 Mall. So there's an indie movie theater in that mill. There's a record shop. There's a bookstore, a cafe, popcorn making place, an uh, apothecary. Uh, it's just like a like an indoor shop local awesome mall. <laughs> One really cool thing that they actually just did was they lit up, uh, illuminated all of the canals in the mall, or they're trying to illuminate all of them. They did a trial run of it in March, I think, where they lit up the canal with LED lighting, and that looked really awesome. Just another kind of, I think that was kind of another public-private partnership that was realized this year, which I think, again, just brings like a, an Instagram-worthy thing to do in Lowell <laughs> for people who do some picture of lit up canals, you know. So more of that, right. the better, I think. That all sounds great and very forward-looking, very future-looking. Things that I would like to see my hometown of Youngstown, Ohio, my college town of South Bend, Indiana, or my current town of Philadelphia start doing. I mean, there is progress in all three of these areas, but I'm glad to hear, I'm especially glad to hear that Lowell is making a, a significant effort for it. And I'm glad to hear that there are noteworthy steps being taken place in Lowell, which... I hope includes a new flag, which brings me to the next topic. Could you tell me a little bit more about the current flag of Lowell, Massachusetts? So the interesting thing, just base level about flags in Massachusetts, is that the state uh, does not require cities to have an official flag. So many of them don't have anything in their city codes or bylaws that mention a flag. Almost all of them have the seal in it. In Lowell's case, the official making air quotes was designed in uh, 1960, part of a contest. Actually, I met with someone who does a kind of a local history blog, and he actually found the, the editorial clipping from uh, March of that year where the facing the paper went and looked for it and couldn't find it, and then kind of spurred the contest to make one for the city. Uh, but what's kind of weird is that it's essentially an exact reproduction of the seal, <laughs> maybe with like a few, uh, a few reduction of colors and stuff like that. You know, there's that one that I think came from that contest. Then there's, like, another variation that has more color and is darker, uh, which looks kind of even worse than that one. Uh, and I think that's mainly actually the wire department. Someone told me that the wire department decided they wanted to put city flags up at all their locations. So the water treatment center has one. The sewage treatment has one. You know, their headquarters has one. Those are all the darker colored flags. So I know that in, like, 1980, they also mentioned uh, that it was, not used a lot due to the cost of creating them because there were so many colors. Uh, the symbolism is pretty hard to make out, a little bit dated. Got some pretty lowly things as far as some mills. There's a train in the front just because there used to be a, a lot of uh, train traffic through here. There still is a commuter rail station here in Mole. But it has a, my kind of favorite detail is the uh, floating cornucopia of industrial pollution that's hanging over the city. Uh, which, you know, which is meant to be the uh, kind of just show the plenty that, you know, those mills created back in the day. But today it just, in my personal opinion, kind of looks like not something you'd want to be the forefront of your city's uh, identity. But that might just be me. Hopefully not just me. Right. But, uh, <laughs> so that's kind of the, the general gist. There's also just in the background, there's, I think, the Middlesex Canal, which actually uh, 
used to run from Lowell to Boston back before there was rails. So uh, that's another fun little factoid there. I will most certainly have a link to the image of the current flag of Lowell, Massachusetts on the Vexillogicast website and a link to the 1980s paper clipping that you mentioned. So, yes, I hope that you enjoyed hearing Mark talk about his background, the city's background, how he got involved with the flag project, and a little bit about the Lowell flag as it currently is. On the next episode, we'll be talking more about his view for the future flag of Lowell, and I'm sure more. I have another good uh, 40 minutes of audio to cut down here. In the meantime, though, hop on over to vexillogicast.com to see the images that I mentioned. Head over to r slash Simon the Cannibal for discussion. Facebook.com slash vexillogicast. On Twitter, you can yell at me directly at cannibal underscore Simon. Patreon is patreon.com slash Simon the Cannibal, I think. And I'll have another episode out for you hopefully soon. All right. Thanks again for listening, and best wishes from the Vexillogicast.